Welcome to Murder Avenue. This is the Murder Avenue Podcast. This is... again and welcome to Murder Avenue. As always, I am your host, Patrick Michael, and I hope you guys are enjoying the new show. I mean, we switched some things up, guys. I like to keep you guessing. I like to also try to bring in new listeners, right? I feel like that's the idea, you know, and I feel sometimes the best way to do that is to redecorate the product. I mean, how many times have we seen this, right? There's a guy right now that's selling his own specific type of pillow, and yet we have millions and millions of types of pillows, but for some reason this guy gets a commercial, and he can't, I don't know, he's apparently not selling enough pillows. But nonetheless, we're here on the show, revamping things, we got some new music, we got new transitions, and today we have a new type of episode. Oh, I forgot to say, we also have new artwork, that's right, I hope you guys enjoy that. I really do, but here we are, and um, yeah, today we are talking about a murder, and we're doing it kind of in reverse, whereas we usually talk about a true crime in the sense of the person that, that committed the crime, okay, so we talk about the killers for the most part, but in this particular instance, we might actually still be talking about a killer, But we're going to be talking about his life and him being killed. And we're actually talking about Carmine Galanti. Now, he was a mafioso in the 20th century. And he grew up in a tenement building in New York City. His parents were Sicilian immigrants who traveled to America in 1906. And he was quoted to have said, No one will ever kill me. They wouldn't dare. I wanted to try and do an accent there. I hope it landed somewhere. I hope it landed somewhere out there in the open field. Uh, But in 1979, the mafia ordered his execution. He said no one would kill him. They wouldn't dare. And eventually they dared. Eventually the the game just got (laughs) too one-sided. And they said, hey, we're going to dare this time. We've done enough truth. It's time for a dare. This is just me picturing a bunch of... Italian mafioso guys sitting in a circle playing truth or dare <laughs> and, and so many other guys are like truth truth it's always gonna be truth until one day Tommy No Shoes sits down and he's like I think I'm gonna take a dare I think I'd like the dare and he took the dare and he, he went after Carmine Galanti okay and this is a story of of how one of the New York's most notorious gangsters met his end. So let's dive into the murder of Carmine Galante right now on Murder Avenue. Now Carmine grew up 
a little guy, right? He was five foot six. And in these times, you could imagine that's not that small. I mean, the average height for the for an average male now, I believe, is like six foot. So five six is kind of small today, but back then, you're telling me that that's not it's not just an okay size. But of course, that led to violent tendencies. You know, he probably was standing up for himself more often than not, and then eventually, people started to fear him. And he used that. But his criminal activity at an early age got him sent to reform school when he was 10 years old. But by the time he was 15, Carmine had joined a street gang on the Lower East Side. He dropped out of school in the 7th grade and began slowly assembling a criminal empire. It started with a small role as an enforcer in an illegal mafia outfit. This was the time of Prohibition and there was a fortune to be made from trafficking alcohol. He also had a day job working as a fishmonger and as well as a at, at a flower store. So he's diversifying. You know, he's going out there getting his hands filthy, working with fish, and then eventually going into the flower shop and working with, you know, beautiful smelling flowers. But finding a regular job for him would be tough. At 15, he was sentenced to two and a half years in prison. Now, what is that like? That's life-changing to be 15 and in prison at these times when the the stories of prison are continu continuously heinous. You could imagine back then there was a lot less, oh, we, we want them to be better. We're here to facilitate their rehabilitation. No. Back then, they were probably beating the hell out of you. Uh, he was eventually released from jail. Carmine was straight back to his criminal lifestyle. But this time he rose through the ranks in the mafia. Because he found himself committing worse and worse crimes. From theft to assault. To straight up murder. In August 1930 he was arrested on suspicion of murdering a police officer during a robbery. But the police couldn't make the indictment stick. Later that year, he found himself in a shootout with the police. Carmine and his friends were attempting to hijack a truck, but a police officer caught them. And both sides opened fire. Carmine's wild shooting caught the police officer as well as a six-year-old boy. Both survived, but Carmine was caught. So at this point, when you know that this guy's willing to just shoot on virtually anybody, isn't that a sign to say, hey, we should lock this guy up? And keep him as long as we can. At least until he's not strong enough to wield a weapon. <laughs> right? I mean, it's a little ridiculous that this continues to happen. But it's because we can't throw the book at everybody that we wish we could. And that's unfortunate. Because some of them should have the book thrown at them. They should have the book thrown at them. But does it happen? No. Because there's too many that shouldn't have the book thrown at them. But it, like I said, this guy willy-nilly shooting, hitting a six-year-old, hitting two different cops, or at least one cop for sure, another one allegedly, plus the robberies at such a young age, it's like, how do you fix this other than locking it down? Because if you don't lock it down, what happens? It gets worse. Now this time the charge is stuck. He was sentenced to 12 and a half years. 
So he did finally, they did finally say, hey man, you need to, you need to sit down. You got to sit down for sure. By the time Carmine Galanti was released on parole in 1939, he already had a reputation. He was a killer. He made no bones about using violence to achieve his goals. While he was in prisons, doctors had officially diagnosed him as a psychopath. But some psychopaths become serial killers to satisfy their violent needs. But in the mafia, Carmine had everything he needed. Plus, he could make a whole bunch of money. In 1940, Carmine was a hitman. He worked for Vito Genovese, the official underboss of the Luciano family, uh, one of the five families of New York. I hope I'm saying that right. Is it Luciano? Maybe it's Luciano. Um, even in the criminal underworld, Carmine had a reputation as a vicious, brutal man. So to me, in a lot of ways, this was like the Iceman before the Iceman. Richard Kuklinski, I believe it is. This guy was essentially doing the job that he did. But I feel like Richard was more of a freelance. Like, yeah, crime syndicates would hire him to kill people. But I don't think he actually worked for them. I'd have to go back and redo the research on that guy. But Carmine was essentially this guy long before, you know, the Iceman ever came about. Carmine had cold, dead eyes. And that was the last thing many of his victims saw. Both the law and other gangsters were actually scared of Carmine Galanti. They called him the cigar, and he was never seen without a thick cigar poking out of the corner of his mouth. One of Carmine's most famous victims was Carlo Tresca. Carlo was the publisher of an anti-fascist newspaper in New York. In 1943, Genovese had offered to kill Carlo uh, Tresca as a personal favor to the fascist dictator in Italy. Galanti waited for Tresca to exit his little shop and gunned him down in the street. Though the police arrested Galante, they failed once again to make the charges stick. Because nobody would talk. Nobody would snitch. And everyone was too scared of Carmine Galanti. So once again, the guy comes out of prison had a reputation, he was already willing to shoot virtually anybody, and this is before a, a crime syndicate, a, a crime family, decides to pick him up. I mean, it feels like people don't give the mafia enough credit for the level of uh, research that they would do on the people that they brought into the family. Because they hired people that men that were legit killers. And they would kill for a price. It was no problem. I mean, Carmine already had a reputation coming out of prison, being a scary dude. Going into prison because of what he did is already terrifying. Then I'm sure he went through some things in prison, probably had some people that worked for him. Comes out, gets even more of a reputation by joining this crime family, and then does the work. And somehow... <laughs> they still can't make charges stick. So even though they could probably pinpoint him for many of the murders, they couldn't do it. They couldn't pinpoint it directly to him. And then also the witnesses that were around. They're not going to talk. You know that. They're not going to say nothing. 
And I would imagine it probably got to a point with the NYPD where, where they were just like, dude, there's no point in even investigating this further because everybody that is involved or could help get this person arrested isn't going to say anything anyways. I mean, I hope they wouldn't do that. I hope they would do their job. But still, you get my point where it's like, come on, guys. You know they're going to say nothing. And and because we know they're going to say nothing, we can already, in fact, say that there's a good chance that they participated in whatever this is, right? But he did serve a short sentence for a parole violation. And during this period, he does go on to marry Helena Maruli in New York. Because Carmine was rising through the ranks in the Mafia pretty quickly. His capo was Joseph Bonanno, who Galante actually admired greatly. And the respect went on to be mutual. In 1953, Galante was sent to Canada to oversee the family's drug trafficking. They were smuggling vast quantities of heroin into the U.S. And anybody who has seen any movie or documentary about the mafia or the mob or New York in this era, we know that drugs aren't a part of it. Drugs were the last thing that they were going to try and be involved in. And here he is in Canada dealing heroin, buying it, whatever it may be. Either way, heroin is involved. And I had always thought that that wasn't a thing. I had always been under the... Maybe that's just what they say in movies. But then again, you hear all the stories from all the ex-mob members, mafia members, and they'll tell you, nah, man, we sold a lot of fucking drugs. We sold a lot. Like, when you think of, like, drugs and you think of, like, a bunch of them, well, we sold more than that, so... But no, we weren't involved. What? What did I say? What did you hear me say? <laughs> Hey everybody, we just want to take a second away from the show to let you know about a brand new sponsor. Miss Wickman's Palm Readings. That's right. Are you not living in your present? Are you concerned about your future? Are you worried about how your past affects your present? Well, visit misswickmanspalmreadings.com and schedule your appointment today. Remain socially distant, but remain aware of the now. Miss Wickman's Palm Readings is 100% an amazing deal. It's something that I fully invest in, something that makes me know for sure what to expect in my future and my present and my past. All of these things. She's she's phenomenal. Check it out today. MissWickmansPalmReadings.com. Use the promo code SOMETHING for 10% off. Now, the Canadians didn't tolerate Galante's strong-arm tactics. So before long, he was deported back to the U.S. And Bonona... Bonona, ban, Bonona Nano, and Galante looked further abroad to build their business. They were on the cusp of dominating the drug trade in New York with many of the other mafia families refusing to involve themselves in narcotics. Just like we said. So perhaps it really was a thing. Perhaps it was a thing where they did say, you know what, we're not doing this, we're not going involve to ourse- involve ourselves in drugs. Because I, I really don't know why that was. I mean, the money is obviously the first thing, you know, for any criminal activity. And what's the number one thing? 
to, to get money. Drugs, right? Bonanno and Galanti looked further abroad to build their business. Bonanno set up meetings with the Sicilian Mafia and arranged for an international partnership in which this partnership involved Galante bringing over young Italian men, using them as bodyguards, killers, and traffickers. In 1958, with the drug trade roaring, Galante was indicted. He obviously goes into hiding before officers arrest him during a routine stop. Charges began to mount, and soon enough, Galante was facing trial. The trial was marked by jury troubles because jurors continued to drop out and they would act suspiciously. I'm sure that was uh, all part of their, their doing, right? Uh, the jury foreman actually uh, accidentally fell down a set of stairs. And despite various mistrials, Galante was sentenced to 20 years behind bars. Now, if you guys go look up pictures of this dude, by this point, he has already lost most of his hair he's really working with that horseshoe thing that old men like to do it's like just shave it man just shave it Galanti was released from this in 1974 and by this time the world had changed it's a different world guy now while Galanti was actually in prison his his uh, guy uh, Bonanno tried to take over he wanted to take over he wanted to be the guy and he tried to have many of his rivals killed but it didn't work out and he was eventually ordered to retire by other mafia heads and this is when Galanti saw his chance and he did seize control of the family and in doing so he made himself one of the most powerful men in all of New York now during the late 1970s Galanti took his opportunity to settle old scores. Frank Costello, one of his enemies, had died while Galante was in prison. And Galante ordered the doors of Costello's mausoleum to be blown off. Now that's just some dark shit. That's something that you kind of think back and you're like, well, that's kind of, it's like unnecessary as shit. It's like getting into a fight at a bar. Once it's over with, you're like, dude, this was, this was fucking dumb. But this guy's like, you know, I want to blow, you know, the guy died. I didn't have a chance to actually... I didn't have an actual chance to get my revenge, so I'm just going to blow up his uh, his gasket, his, his place, his mausoleum, his death place. He continued to have more people murdered, including eight members of the Gambino family. The murders would also help him expand his drug operation. Now, Carmine Galanti was cornering the narcotics market, ruthlessly eliminating anyone who stood in his way. The man they called the cigar felt like he was invincible. No one dared to touch him. But people were beginning to move against Galanti. The other mafia bosses had noticed what he was trying to do, and Galanti refused to share his narcotics profits. Even if Galanti believed himself untouchable, the other bosses began to talk. They met secretly, worried about what would happen if Galanti discovered their plot. And one by one, they agreed Galanti had to be killed. So as you can see, these dudes that are running a criminal organization are terrified of this dude. They're, they're, they're in themselves scary guys 
And they're like, yeah, no. I, I mean, what if he shows up? What if he shows up here, guy? What if he shows up here? He's going to kill all of us. And then what? I'm sure that's something that they thought about many, many times. There was probably one guy that was way more scared than everyone else. And he wouldn't stop talking. Guys, I can't do this. I can't keep doing this. I can't keep... I, I'm lying to my wife. I'm coming here. I'm sweating through my suit, okay? I, I keep dabbing myself with this towel. It is not helping. I'm telling you. And I don't even... Look. I gotta go. But yes, they end up doing this. And it's so crazy to think that they had to meet in secret. You know, this is the commission. Right? That's the whole thing. That's what it was called, I thought. Maybe. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is Sopranos. <laughs> I don't know. All my mafia information comes from movies and documentaries. So, what I'm saying is I don't read. Just kidding. But my point is, you just don't see these guys being in fear. Because I don't think the same was said about the Iceman. Even though he had a reputation, I don't think it was like this. I don't think it went this far. Where they had to meet in secret to plan to murder him because there was no other way. I mean, Kuklinski went to jail. He went to prison. So he was alive. Did they simply just not try to kill him? Did they think he was scarier than Carmine? This decision needed a unanimous approval. And they even got the nod from the exiled Joseph Bonanno. The guy that worked with Carmine. Who probably saw way more than most people would want to see. And he's a bad guy as well. And he's like, this guy's fucked up. So in 1979, the decision was made. Carmine Galante had to be killed. On July 12, 1979, Carmine Galante went out for lunch. He ate on the open patio at Joe and Mary's Italian-American restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And we can all attest to eating outdoors these days, right? <laughs> Most of us have to eat outside, and it's not because we enjoy a picnic. Now, while he was eating, he was actually with Leonard Coppola. And he was a capo in the Bonanno family and Giuseppe Toronto, the family's muscle, which makes me think Giuseppe was probably a large guy. I'm just assuming. Uh, Galante also had uh, two Sicilian bodyguards with him, and it's it's so strange to think that he had all these people there, and the results are what you can imagine. Um, they ate their food, uh, they talked at length, and to all intents and purposes, it was a meal like every other. But at 2.45, three men entered the restaurant. They were all wearing ski masks, you know, looking very much like today, except for we're not wearing a ski mask, but we all are wearing some sort of a mask. And then it also kind of looked like a robbery, probably, because the atypical uniform for somebody to rob a bank is a ski mask. So what was he thinking? The masked men were also wielding weapons, shotguns, pistols. And they immediately burst out into the open patio and they spot Galante's table and they immediately open fire. 
Galante, Toronto, and Coppola were killed instantly, their bodies riddled with bullets. A photographer caught Galante at the moment of his death, the signature cigar still stuck in the corner of his mouth. And you can see these photos, they are out there. And I'm looking at it right now. And, you know, it, it's it's obviously a, a man who's been killed. But he is, It's he, he looks like he had no idea. Like, there was no moments of him trying to react. And what's even crazier is it's like, you see this guy and you have to think, he looks like an old man. He looks just like an old guy. Like, if you were to get into a fight with him, it wouldn't really be a problem, and you would feel horrible. But then again, you can't judge a book by its cover. I don't know what that was. Um, the, two, the two Sicilian bodyguards were unharmed. They'd done nothing to interfere with the attack. Perhaps it had been arranged by Bonanno, who warned his Sicilian contacts of the hit in advance. Carmine Galante, the kid from the tenement blocks, who'd risen up as a boss, was dead. But his influence still echoed through the mafia. His reputation meant that even arranging a funeral was difficult. Because imagine trying to be like, yeah, you know, we want to host this funeral here. And they're like, oh, who's it for? And they say the name. And those people are like, yeah, no, thanks. Uh, Galante was buried in a cemetery in Queens. His killers were later identified, hired by Alphonse uh, Idelicato on behalf of the five families. Later, Idelicato, Idelicato would be sentenced to 40 years in prison, partly for the role in the murder. Now, this is where things start to get really tricky. And you hear about the Mafia guys turning on each other. Because in the wake of the Galante killing, the Gambino family eventually became the biggest crime family in New York. But they soon would be crumbling, as John Gotti was sentenced to a very long stretch in prison. While plenty of members turned on their bosses to avoid long sentences while being questioned, Compared to Galante, Gotti and the other mafioso could never elicit that level of fear. It took the five families uniting to bring down Carmine Galante. And no other boss could ever come close to his reputation. Now due to the fact that John Gotti was arrested, so many members turned on their bosses to avoid long sentences, which means other bosses being arrested, uh, Galante being arrest, uh, killed, uh, Gotti being arrested, you know, there's the guys working with them were essentially telling on them and ruining their lives, making it worse where there was no chance of freedom. They weren't just going to go in and get out. But like I said, you can't you can't hate on the mafia for doing due diligence in who they hire. But here is a prime example of hiring a guy that did do the job for them, rose through the ranks. You thought he was a good guy. And he, too, essentially turned his back on you guys, and you feared him. He became a problem. 
And it took all the families to say, we got to stop this fucking guy. We got to get him out. But that's Carmine Galanti. This is Murder Avenue. I'm Patrick Michael. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Goodbye. Hey guys, if you enjoyed that show, please subscribe wherever you listen. Be sure to share it on social media. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell a distant family member, especially if you don't like it. If you don't like it and you tell the family member that you don't like, it's a win-win for you. Also, exclusive content and early access to all of these podcast episodes are at patreon.com slash podculture. The link for that is in the episode description. You can get early access as well as access to things that aren't put out there, as well as simply supporting the podcast that you love. Thank you so much once again for tuning in to Murder Avenue. See you next time. Thank you.